Hello, welcome to episode six of Rethinking Work with Bill and Ben. Today's episode, we have Jan, who is the founder of Spaceform, a digital technology platform that is part of Squint Opera. We, I've been kind of following Spaceform for about the last 18 months. And as we talk in the podcast, COVID has really accelerated people's adoption of this software. They've had some huge investors. They've got our favorite Bjark Ingalls. They've got Thomas Heatherwick. They've got UN Studio. They've got a ton of like new investment pouring in. And it is such an interesting platform. And you could argue that it has an element of metaverse in the fact that people can have an avatar. They can all jump onto this platform through your phone, through your laptop, or most interestingly, VR goggles. And they can all look around a building, move around a city, a town, and you can, it's done in a very like manageable way and, it, and it's really engaging for people to use. Um, and we went over to their studio, didn't we? Yeah, and it's an it's a amazing studio on the canal in Hackney. It's, it's a, the sort of dream full of very cool looking people and artwork and ongoing pro- projects. And they're very good at telling the stories behind buildings and communities and artworks and this immersive technology makes people feel stuff better and so they're near where we are in our studio and we looked at them for creative inspiration and and today was no exception really and we're also part of their beta program and we have a few surprises that we're going to work with them over the next couple of months which we're going to tease Uh, and we realized that spaceform is a very interesting platform for us to do a virtual presentation and an exciting physical presentation at the same time. So watch this space because we have a lot coming for you. Enjoy. Okay, I'm just checking. There you go. All good. Right. First of all, thank you for coming on our podcast. Absolutely. Uh, on today's podcast, we have Jan Hof. Correct. Now I'll do. do. Um, <laughs> and the reason the reason I want to talk to Spaceform and you was uh, it's a technology that you've developed over the last eighteen months, two years. Yes, in its present incarnation, yeah. Okay, and I want to talk to you more about how kind of, I feel COVID's probably accelerated that, but why don't you give a bit of background on Spaceform and and also we, you know, we're we're a startup, so we're fascinated to hear about the kind of the history of how you started and and your relationship with Squint Opera as well. Okay. That's a lot. Yes. Um, It's a multifaceted question for you. Maybe I'll do this historically, uh, or yes. Uh, So basically I joined Squint just over five years ago now. Uh, I was been, I've been running my own uh, software company for about 20 years, but I studied architecture back in the day. So I kind of dropped out of architecture, went kind of into the, the geek side, uh, but still got a massive passion for design and massive passion for the built environment and how it affects us and its, you know, its, its connection to technology and how that works as well. So um, I kind of saw Squint as being a really exciting opportunity to combine my passions of geekdom and design. Design's quite geeky as well, to be honest. But um, both of those together. And and you've uh, never looked back to architecture then, so no. Uh, no, not not for the design. I mean, even uh, thinking about sort of designing a extension to a garage, you know, I'll probably hire someone like an old mate who would do a lot better job than me. Yeah. Well, so ha- having said that, I'm doing my kitchen extension, and my wife's insisting that I get a proper architect to actually. There you go. <laughs> there you go. I think it's actually you can be your own worst boss when it comes to that kind of stuff because it's kind of too. Too open, you know. Anyway, so... So you um, took the best bit of architecture, which is the, uh, you know, the front end, the narratives, the description, the the, getting everyone excited. The year one, loved it. (laughs) Year two, drain pipe widths, uh, you know, kind of uh, where you put your sockets, started to phase out a little bit. So, uh, and then also we had, um, uh, I was at Kingston, we had a silicon graphics rig there, which was like one of the early kind of high-end graphics machines. And uh, I just suddenly like, you know, the sort of dawn of 
bing, everything went off. It's like, oh my goodness, that's got to be the future, isn't it? And not just the future of kind of visualization, but I could just see that just working with so many different industries and, and all the rest of it. So um, I was blown away by that, basically. And that, that was kind of, that's the way I was going to go. So, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, yes, it's bits, not atoms at that stage. Yeah, I can yeah. imagine. Well, because on our way in, as we were sat in, you know, you had the squint opera video reel going in the background and you do get a sense that the, the different industries you work across is massive. I mean, you've got advertising. I noticed you work for big, you know, you've done a few big projects as well. So you know, the, the visual effects that you do span so many different industries, don't they? Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of call... Back in the day, Squint started uh, with the three, four founders who started the company. We uh, came out of uh, Will Allsop's office, which randomly, when I got my first job af uh, after university, I ended up working for a company called Virtual Artworks, and we were doing stuff for Will Allsop. So there's that kind of connection there, so, so 20 odd years ago. So that's, that, that, it was great to kind of connect back in with everyone again. So, um, and hence why we all knew each other a little bit from, from, yeah. from years ago. Um, so yeah, so they basically sort of did the architecture, then kind of ended up doing a software company and uh, called Rankon, and we kind of built about 250 or so games. We kind of we niched out heavily in, in casual games because it just came in. First of all, viral games. So we did a we we were kind of struggling around doing websites. Myself and my old business partner we were doing websites for a couple of years, and it was kind of fine, whatever. But then we. We're really bored one day, as you are sometimes in a new company, and trying to find things not to do, but to market ourselves, clever ways to market ourselves. And it was just as John Prescott, and this is really going back, this is showing my age completely, but John Prescott threw a punch at a Welsh I remember. Guy. Yes, right. <laughs> so we were sat in a cafe, and we went, that would make such a funny little game, because it's like Preza Prize Fighter. And... <laughs> Nowadays, you'd be doing Chris Rock getting getting a slap. Right? It's, it, well, exactly. That that is is that is that exactly that same thing. Yeah, and uh, and that basically sparked. We we did that basically that afternoon. Went back to the office and just banged that out in the afternoon, and launched it to our massive mailing list of about fifty people. And within twenty four hours, two hundred fifty thousand people played it, and we're like, oh, this could be something interesting. And we then got inundated by agencies and brands who all said, look, that magic thing that you did. And we're like, this really, it was kind of, I'm not saying pure luck, but it was just a laugh. It, that's literally why we did it. And then it turned into actually what we did for the next sort of five, 10 years. And what company was that? That was Rankin. So uh, yeah, and then, so that, that, then we did a load of games and started ending up for people, uh, working for people like Sony and HP and uh, BBC and Disney and all sorts of really, doing really cool digital experiences. and kind of really enjoyed that world. But at the same time, I always, I've got kind of mad passion for, for, for digital products rather than just doing services all the time. So I guess the whole app world is nothing more than a series of little mini products that get launched on an app store. So I really kind of had an affinity for that. So whether that was either doing it for ourselves or doing it for our clients, mm -hmm. that's what we ended up doing. So the kind of, I guess the gaming stuff and digital experience stuff then turned into when the iPhone came out and the iPad and all the rest of it, just went apptastic for so th so then we just did you know hundreds of apps um for people like yeah from um i don't know, kind of crazy translation apps to financial services apps to more games 3d games 2d games um was that the gold rush that everyone absolutely felt it was? yeah because we kind of ran a little bit at the, at the web first kind of web stuff so that was sort of late 90s and that's when websites were like everyone was paying a premium and no one could do it so we kind of yeah. got in early there 
then we kind of quite frankly got a little bit bored of that. So then we ended up doing the kind of more the gaming kind of interactive, immersive digital stuff. And that became really fun. Uh, and then lots of other people joined that party. And then the apps came out. And then we thought, actually, this is this feels like it did back in the day and no one's doing it. So we were like one of the first people to get kind of apps out. And then also then when you had very few apps in the app store, you could release something and you just automatically get like 50,000 downloads, you know, just because everyone, no one, everyone had the devices and there was no content. So that worked really well for us. Such a good yeah. time to get into app development. Well, you're, yeah. you've stayed, I mean, to, to don't diminish yourself here, you've stayed then at that front edge of what technology well, is and what digital yeah. experiences are. Yeah. And now we're all coming to you and saying, help us with the next internet. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm, you know, I have a mad passion for that. So basically, what's next? You know, wh where's it going? And that how can we... Can, leads in. How, exactly. How, how can we kind of contribute? So just going back to kind of how I joined Squint is basically we ended up working a lot for the kind of museum side of Squint, kind of building digital experiences for, for, for that side and getting on really well with, with who we're working with. And it was just really lovely, actually, to go from basically six, five, six years of developing things on tiny little screens to boom, these massive, you know, immersive walk-in experiences on big screens. And everyone in the office loved it. Ironically, it's the same software. You know, it's, it was at the time Unity. And we were building 90% of our mobile apps, mainly games, but other kind of digital, digital, digital things in Unity, plus also this massive stuff on screens. And then that kind of, that was a bit of a kind of moment. It's like actually the same tech can do both of those things and deliver them. And that kind of suddenly really is the power of those engines and what they can deliver. It might be worth just pausing and saying, we know Squint Opera well through our work as architects, but there'll be people listening to, to this who might not know the agency. I just wonder if you want to frame it in terms of what it what it does. Sure. Um, here we go. Uh, you like, ask, remem remember the spiel. Yeah, there's like, there's <laughs> well, like, is it is it too broad? broad well, then, no, 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 no. Do no, it, of, course, no of course, we can, of course we can do it. I mean, we we got two main kind of um, areas of expertise, I guess. Um, one is the built environment, and the other is now kind of uh, museums and experiences. And those that sparked off um, kind of developing a content for both. So basically, um, mainly coming from narrative films. Um, and our kind of, I guess our kind of superpower back in the day, and still is really, is doing these kind of um, very story-led films about spaces and places and the ideas behind the ideas and compressing that down to two minutes. You know, that's kind of Squint's superpower, I would say. And not just doing a CGI fly-through. You know, that's the last thing we, 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 yeah, we do. Because there's plenty of other people who do it and do it fine and do it a lot cheaper, quite frankly. So... Good luck. So our kind of, you know, I think we're passionate, much more passionate about the storytelling side of it uh, and, and the kind of ideas behind the ideas of, of the design. Well, that's, that's interesting because if people go on the website, Squintop website, like one of the hardest things is trying to make something short and easily understandable. Like, for example, doing this podcast, really easy to edit an hour long, but to try and get it down to 15, 20 seconds for a little reel is so difficult. Yeah. So uh, the video, you go on the website, it's really good. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, so they're basically compressing those massive ideas. And we're talking about, you know, master plans, cities, yeah, from, well, from building scale to cities and master plans. And our clients on that side are kind of, you know, often we get kind of introduced by the architects to a developer or to a local government or to a national government because they'll be the first in the door and then they'll say, look, yeah, Squint are very good at communicating this stuff if you want to get investment or you want to talk to the public or you want to, you know, um, you want to help us get to the next stage of, of the design process and often clients are kind of quite invested in that and they want to get the kind of the best way of doing that. So 
uh, they come to us and 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 that's you know I guess that's where we came from and then then we started the museum stuff now probably about 10 plus years ago now that we started doing this content for museums kind of I guess we had the pipeline we've got the team and we had the thinking so it's like well how do we apply that to other other medium and other screens and that's where the museum stuff came from so and that's been super super successful as well and we're doing some lovely stuff in the um in the middle east but we also did like you know was involved in the kind of empire state building experience um back in the day but which it's is a different world i mean ben and i've both got young children and i kind of had a 10-year hiatus of going to museums or longer and suddenly you go back to the science museum or back to the national history or any of the ones we're around museum of childhood here in hackney and it is a completely different live experience thanks to your your genius really um I, yeah, there, I think there's a kind of ex level of expectation, especially with museums, they want to always drive the average age down and make them more engaged. So they have to be perhaps more digitally focused, but without, you know, we, we're always advocating for not digital for digital sake. You know, it's, it's got to have a purpose and a reason behind it. But at the same time, you know, our kids are completely hooked on and completely understand the digital world. So when you walk into a museum and there's lots of things on shelves, they find it maybe not as engaging as like if there was something then explaining what was on that shelf in, in perhaps a, yeah, another way that then that brings them into the, the subject. There's also the overlap as well. I mean, I've noticed it with my kids now that the things he's watching on screen look like an okay computer game. And then they play the computer game that looks exactly like what's on screen. So I'd imagine the zoo, ex like a museum experience, they can just, they, they can engage with it in so many different ways. Mm. Um, hearing you talk about the kind of history no, I've never actually, because I know you from Spaceform, and I've worked with Squint Opera, but hearing you explain the history of Space, uh, Squint Opera and how you came to Spaceform has now made me realise why you, why it was such a big market for Spaceform. You know, hearing all the interaction you said with the planners and the government. So mm. w when did Spaceform start? So I, I mentioned the Empire State Building experience. That was one of the first kind of commercial uses we had of it, which... Um, the client that has actually happened to own the Empire State Building, and he was super engaged in the project. Um, not very many billionaires are that engaged <laughs> in the creative process, but he, he certainly was. So he had to have final sign-off on everything. I mean, it was a big deal from him. It was his baby, basically, the whole building. You know, and, the, and this, this was a big, yeah, big investment on, on, on his behalf. I love that you could just throw out that was, that was his building. The, the yeah, I know, I know. Not, not many people can say that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's his, yeah, that's his thing. But, um, uh, so we... Tried to, so we were doing, a, yeah, we were working with a company called Think uh, Design, who are a very famous uh, New York-based um, experience design company. They did the Holocaust Museum and 9/11 Museum um, uh, in Manhattan, and um, you know they do beautiful, very poetic spaces and kind of yeah, it's a really, really fine art. And then they kind of recommended us to to, to and a couple of other companies, but we ended up winning the the, the business. And we basically did everything other than the spatial design, so all the content in there. So when we talk about content in that particular place, and reason why it was the sort of start of Spaceform was that you had rooms that you walked into and it was surrounded on three or four sides by massive media screens that you were completely immersed. Like you, one of the, one of the rooms, it was actually on the first floor, but as you walk in, you were surrounded, in fact, ceiling and three of the four walls were these massive floor-to-ceiling screens and you're up on the building site. You know those really famous pictures of the Empire State being built, and all the all the workmen on the on the. So it was those. It was that. It was it was that brought to life, colorized slightly, but all animated. And you walk into this room that you're basically on top of the on top of the Empire State with the views and with the people. Uh, and then, 
But visualizing that is one thing, but then explaining it to the client who has to sign off and write quite a fat check to quite frankly get it done was quite a challenge. Like, you know, PowerPoints didn't cut it, animations didn't cut it. We just, he just wasn't. So eventually we persuaded him to, to don some VR and walk into the space. And, you know, it's quite a challenge. We've found this, you know, constantly that, you know, people who, um, let's say people in power or, or position, getting them to put on some VR goggles in front of a room with their minions is, is often quite a challenge. You know, that's, uh, so, so we found that. But once he did it, completely hooked and just said everything has to be done there, which was brilliant and also dreadful because it was a lot of extra work. You were like, but, oh no, what have yeah. we started? But we had to build basic systems to support that and that was the start of Spaceful. So, wow. Um, yeah. I mean, it's an incredible experience and, and I, I totally get that once you've got used to seeing this, like understanding the scale and the experience of being in a place with VR, suddenly seeing a 2D video on your phone or on a screen just doesn't really cut it. So then, so then you, you build this software and, and, and we're part of the beta testing, which, yes. which has been great. Awesome. Right. But, but also suddenly it, I understand the way that it's developed is that public engagement and allowing the, the every person to engage with it has, is actually where you've decided to take the software. So it's not just for like high end clients, you're actually trying to get you know the public to engage with it or maybe planning permissions and stuff, which mm. is a slightly less glamorous, but yes. a very, very functional, yes. but good use of it, right? So that's yeah, where it's gone. Yeah. So. I think, that, so fast forwarding a couple of years, we kind of had it as a background tool and we we're using a lot of projects, but we weren't pushing it as its own product per se. Then COVID happened and then a lot of clients started ringing up and just saying, you know, that, that software that we've been using, you know, in our work with you locally on the ground, can we have it in the cloud and can we have it tomorrow? Because we've got, we can't fly and we've got these mega projects that need to be delivered to the client or to, to to an audience the other side of the world and we yeah we kind of see this as being a really powerful way to to get the projects over the so line. So people who might not know it's it's taking that immersive experience but using it as a space for collaboration and communication for multi players. For yes whatever. exactly so um, yeah I haven't used the M word yet and I won't use that uh, I, uh, until <laughs> later yeah. uh, but it, before that the the big M word came up as a public piece of consciousness. We, it was a multi-user. It's, it's basically using the MMORG game world, so massive multiplayer online gaming engine, but for architecture. So, so it's kind of using the same stack as Fortnite. Yeah. Multiple people in the same space, uh, putting that on the cloud so it streams, and but also you download it to your desktop. So you can have it as a VR thing in your desktop, or you can stream onto your mobile phone and have everybody in the same place. So it's democratic. That's, that, that was one of the big aims we yeah. had. About well, it. What I liked about it was when we first used it was the problem with these softwares, and we'll get onto the M word in a bit, is that it, they're limitless, they're boundless. So everyone's like, oh, we can do everything, whatever. It's only when you take it back to a physical representation in the digital world, people can get comfortable with it. So the reason I liked Spaceform was we were working on a model, you were able to put it on a fake virtual table, get people in with their VR goggles or a mobile phone or their desktop apps. They didn't need VR. And then they could move around the room and the person controlling it can just slide away what's on the table. So it could be the whole site model or you could zoom in and it will be a detail or you can jump into the model and go at the ground and look at the buildings. Mm -hmm. But you like the home button on an Apple or on a phone, you had that ability to make, don't worry guys, I'm not gonna zoom you around, you're in a room it's very standard. And then once people get used to that, you can, you can then, then, play then to the zoom. I kind of, um, 
had a very interesting analogy the other day that people, when um, they go into a virtual collaborative space, they've got to still relate that to something that they've done before yeah. in reality for it to work. Because there's, there's, there's social norms and social um, rules that you have in real life that you want to kind of attach to your virtual life. And somehow, you know, you, you just don't know how to be floating in space with your with your buddies. You probably could end up doing it, you know, in a game and you know, shooting stuff and all the rest of it. But you'd have to learn that. Whereas I think when you've got a business, a business application like Spaceform is, really, we really need to fast forward all that stuff, like kind of get over the tech, the tech side of it and just get into actually what we're doing here. We're collaborating, we're presenting, we're telling stories um, using a new medium, but it's something that you want to get over the... The, the unusual aspect of it. It's that thing of bringing along people with you and how new products have to look a bit like their old version, even if you could change it a lot. I think mobile phones, they couldn't just persuade everyone to carry a computer around, which is basically what was going to happen. So they called it a phone to help people transition. And now we don't really ring each other. I, I totally see that we're in a, a, a space where we're trying to make a fake a meeting table and soon we can get rid of the table and get and, on with it. And yeah. also, I think if you're if you're a non-architect listening to this or not really in the construction industry or a student, the reason it got so popular during COVID was if you're doing a big project in China or, or, or somewhere and miles away, you've got to fly there, you've got to present to the client, you might have to take, I mean, when we, me and Bill and I worked at our previous practice make, you had to fly a model out, you had to have the model guy with you because you know that's going to get damaged in transit and the whole pitch might based on how good this model is. You know, you're talking five, ten people, just the architects, and then suddenly you've got all the other consultants. In terms of air miles, cost, like it's the the cost is outrageous. To suddenly be able to do this in virtual reality to a much wider group of people with much lower stress levels, and you can predict and manage the room. I can totally see why people have really like latched on. Embraced it. it, yeah. And there's also the environmental <coughs> impact as well with all that stuff. So, you know, we're kind of saying that, yeah, even if you can just reduce the the, the air miles by 25, 50%, whatever it is in kind of, in our industry at least, that would be amazing. What a result that would be. Because, that, yeah, it's taking a whole chunk of carbon out of the air, which I think is like a, yeah, that's got to be on everyone's agenda these days. So, um, yeah, I think there's a lot of positives to. What, to, what would a, what would a crazy, like fantasy 10x application of this be to you when you, can, you, you can go throw out the M word now if you want. To I, I'm Come on. when the metaverse. Yeah, here we go. Here it is. isn't just an iPhone. You've broken the ice now. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking we love we love it. Yeah. I mean, squid top for a space form the product. We think it's like terrific. But I, you know, I fantasize about what happens when able partner tech takes over the world. You know, a 10x application of space form in the metaverse. You know, there are lots of people in that that race is the biggest guy going to take it is, is Zuckerberg going to manage to wrestle control from everyone else is there is there room for a lot of different players uh what is it what does a good future for you look like in this space well if you go back to the premise that the metaverse is a 3d internet right so it's just the next iteration of the internet it's just the 3d internet so just kind of substitute that word for the 3d internet rather than getting hooked on exactly the form of it because um, yeah, we are five to ten. Well, in, some people are saying we're already in the metaverse. Like things like Roblox is a kind of you know virtual game platform that lots of kids use. Um, that that's an, a really good analogy or a really good example of how collaboration can work and you know how even little micro economies can work within a metaverse environment. So you've got like you know it's got a it's got scripting language. It's got a it's got its own uh, currency, all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of an interesting analogy of maybe pointing in direction of, of the metaverse, but there will be 
hundreds, thousands, millions of different metaverse. I don't believe there will be, of course there will, there, there will be convergence to single platforms for large social uh, for uses, but there's going to be lots, like, like websites, you know, obviously you get your Facebook, but you've still got billions of others, haven't you? So there's, I don't think, oh, well, at least I hope there's not going to be just one, one Uber company. And I quite frankly, it'll probably be some company that we've never heard of anyway that'll come along in the next five years and, you know, take over 50% of it. And that's just the way, way tech goes. But um, there's still going to be tons and tons and tons of opportunity on, on, on those, on those sides, especially for what we're doing more kind of, say, business to business, enterprise-led metaverse. Well, because I guess for people, it as well. the way that you would understand it is a mini metaverse would be like your space form, but there's multiple different rooms on one floor and each each room has a project in. That's a mini metaverse because there could be a hundred people walking from room to room. That's a metaverse. You know, yeah. that's a 3D environment and you could potentially have a conversation with someone virtually that has just as much weight as if you and I were in this room. And that's essentially and then times that by a million or a billion or yeah. infinite and then yeah. then you have a mega metaverse right exactly so and and yeah whether that all coalesces around a single shared it's got to be open space you know that everyone like platform but then who owns it all that so there's a big there's a big debate without getting too geeky about it about web 2.0 web 3.0 web 2.0 being the stuff that we're kind of using at the moment all the kind of big tech companies like the amazons and the googles and the facebooks of the world and then web 3.0 which is decentralized which is kind of using all the kind of crypto blockchain based tech really cool tech very very complicated though to kind of manage uh large um large applications that need to be updated all the time because it's yeah it's super cool as in like everyone owns it everyone's got it on their computers all decentralized no one you know no one actually singly controls it but as a user as an end user you just want something to work and it's look amazing so there's always a balance between that and you can, and that you can only really achieve that on a centralized platform so there's a lot of that going on in the metaverse as well in terms of you know do we have um yeah do we encourage the kind of single platform use which i think is probably the way it's going to have to go to start with at least um, but then uh, bring in elements of that decentralized, yeah, yeah, finance or um, kind of you know, fractional ownership of, of of stuff. And I find that really interesting. I think the two are completely linked, yeah. but how they actually end up, yeah, working out. So yeah, can one currency transfer? Because the problem with Roblox currency, for an example, mm. is that that's the currency that exists in the game. I can give you currency in the game, but I can't extract that. From yeah, you can't go. Money. You can't go and buy a T-shirt with it. Yeah. So or outside of Roblox. Yeah. So um, I mean, I don't know if you've ever used Decentraland, um, which is a kind of decentralized web-based metaverse. Um, lots of brands are jumping in there and building experiences. Um, I mean, I'm kind of like, I've been kind of, you know, my job is basically to always look at whatever, the, oh, you know, I was using Second Life when it first came out and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, and then kind of, you know, there's, there's, there's always like positives and negatives. I mean, I thought the actual fact that something like that, you can just jump in on the web, amazing. Uh, but the quality of it, you know, the actual visual representation, which is something our clients are absolutely obsessed by, obviously it's a visual medium architecture um, as, as much as everything else. Um, you know, it's just not there. It's just because because they've made it so it runs on a website, and it's an incredible piece of tech. But you know, visually, I don't know whether you know our clients would quite go for that for, for that level. So some of your clients are still architects. They're not just museums or brand experiences. They're they're the built environment. And I guess for for us, not just to to save our own skin, but you know, what is the future looking like for architects? I know you work for loads of our heroes. You know, Bjork Ingels, Thomas Heatherwick, Norma Foster. Zaha, when, when she was here, and, and Patrick Schumacher now, I, I guess. They're, they're really talking about the 3D internet, and these are 
to a degree, live Revit BIM models that are integrating into a third space. They are user experiences, which I think architects ca can deliver. Um, can you can you look into your crystal ball for us? And so I've I've talked at length to many. Uh, awesome architects and just trying to persuade them that they are in the power seat right now, I think, for delivering digital experiences in a metaverse environment. So I think that that I think as a profession where you you synthesize the kind of human condition and turn that into a spatial form and turn that into something that feels right, looks right, has an intrinsic uh, elegance or poetry about it. I think architects are going to be ideal for designing, you know, what the metaphor. Also, game designers are in there as well. You know, and I think it's a kind of coalescing of the two would probably, yeah. you probably get there. Um, when I've spoken to architects about this, though, they've often said, well, hang on a second, we really quite like the challenge of sight, of yeah. legislation, of yeah, physics, yeah. quite frankly. You know, there's all yeah. that stuff that makes architecture a challenge and interesting. And you kind of, that's what you do seven years training for, is basically to be able to, you know, wangle some magic out of all those different conditions that are basically telling you to not do something yeah. magic, you know. Well, um, with the metaverse, you don't have that. It's, yeah. it's, 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 so, so, but I do think if you can distill down that human experience side of it and kind of understanding the spatial elements, there are still, there are still conditions. Like you have to worry about slightly different things in terms of complexity and um, what, uh, I don't know, who, uh, yeah, how you deliver things, what the material weights are, all that. There, there are this sort of technical things to it, but it's not really architecture, that is, side of it. Is there some yeah. fear that sits with something like the sandbox where, you know, pieces of real estate, digital real estate are going for eye-watering sums and, you know, we, 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 we like to look, look at that and are pretty, pretty excited about what the applications could be. But is, it, is there this unknown that blockchain isn't trusted by traditional professionals and it's a... Uh, a risk to invest in it. Do you, do you see that? Yeah, of course. I mean, is it, you know, is it the Emperor's New Clothes? Are NFTs the Emperor's New Clothes? Who knows? But then you could argue that. I, mean, I was thinking about this the other day because, um, you know, I... I, I do you quite, own a quite, chimp? Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, yeah, I don't actually. No, I, I keep think, I keep nearly buying an NFT and then yeah. going, oh, it's just a JPEG. Um, and, and you'll have and to explain to your partner and she'll be like, what? what? Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. Magic beans. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is magic. But then if you, I mean, it's probably not a great analogy because a lot of people are quite cynical about it as well, but it's very similar, I think, to the art world in terms of, you know, why is a, why is a Warhol selling for 100 million and, you know, some, you know, oil pre raphaelite oil painting selling for, you know, 50,000. Yeah, why, what's the, what's yeah. the, yeah. And that, and that is all about kind of markets and supply and demand and, and kind of, you know, zeitgeist and, and kind of catching. Uh, so, so I think NFTs have got a lot of that wrapped in there. So I think that is a story as old as the tulips of Amsterdam back in the 17th century. Well, yeah, I, gu I guess if you're interested in an architect now and you, you, would, you would go and see their buildings and then you find out they've done something in the metaverse, you're like, well, I'll, I obviously I want to go and see that because I just want to see what they're up to. Whereas if you've never heard of them, I guess it's like the art, the art thing, isn't it? It's like I just I, I well, thought I can see yeah. that thing completely on its head. I mean, I know we don't often disagree on this thing, but I think that thing of oh, prove yourself in the traditional discipline, and then it's there, then then you earn the right to do something else. It's going to be completely inverted. You know, the winner of the Turner Prize or the you know the Sterling Prize, it's going to be someone on Minecraft or something very soon, and we should be looking at that rather avant-garde space rather than waiting to be invited to join if this is the next gold rush as i think it is well for you is there anything so bad about buying a shovel yeah well for you and i 
there's a, there's a potential opportunity that we could meet someone and make more money in a digital sphere than we can in the physical sphere and it's like <laughs> that that's really unnerving like yes, uh, you know like it's should i should i do that like i, I don't know yeah. it's, it's not knowing where to go and especially is yeah most people you meet in the industry are genuinely in love with the atom the physics the that side of architecture you know, the human you know, response to space, you know, uh, and it's quite a big jump than say, no, it's all now, you know, bits and bytes and, and uh, uh, a kind of simulation of that. Um, but that's our blended future. I'm, I'm, you know, I just don't think we've got, uh, I think we just have to, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not an absolutionist as in like, yeah, we have to do this, but I just think that that's the way it's going. And I think it's going to be, I think one of the, the promises of 3D, like the 3D internet and, and 3D computing in general, is that it actually gets more human, not less human, because we can then respond to it in a more of a visceral way. And that becomes super interesting. Yeah, it's, you know, it's still, in the end of the day, it's still ones and zeros, but we're, we're responding to it using more of our senses. And that becomes a really use, interesting, exciting uh, kind of user interface uh, challenge in all sorts of levels. So um, above and beyond kind of like just flat screens and 2D imagery. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, we, we are, there are lots of pieces of architecture that used to have offices in them that are now half full, not unlike when today. You know, you've got a mix of people here and a mix, mix not. What are we going to do with all this real estate? How can we use uh, these amazing technologies to animate them or to do some more kind of transitional or collaborative spaces which are one thing for part of the week and another thing for another part of the week. And actually these technologies might help getting a bit more out of existing buildings and existing architecture. I'm just thinking about, you know, we talk about blended space now rather than workspace. We went to a prep this morning and no one was drinking coffee and it was just completely packed with people who wanted to use the, the, the Wi-Fi. Back, I mean, it's a, that's a very yeah. old, old yeah. space, but actually it's a blended space. Prep didn't seem to mind. And... And actually, are our buildings going towards that? And what can we do with the, 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 the walls and the space to help get more out of the, the existing carbon, really? Mm. I think with uh, digitally activated spaces in one way or another, whether you mediate that through your small devices or soon going to be, you know, glasses or whatever it's going to be, I think could be really exciting. Um, we on kind of with my squint hat on, on the museum side, you know, you see that when you walk into... Um, museums that can actually change the whole reason of a room or a space depending on the content that they load up onto that into that space which I think is really exciting you get you get glimpses of that I think you know it's quite far out there but things like team lab and the uh, the, the the mad success I think team Lab I read the other day is the most successful museum exhibit in the world by, by footfall in time or something like that um, I hope I didn't, you know, I haven't kind of misread that, but I think it's just incredibly popular. That, that's a, so there is a kind of, um, yeah, an excitement lazy. I mean, that's a very art, yeah, art-driven uh, response to it. But if you kind of you kind of distill that down a little bit to kind of like everyday offices, but like projecting things on surfaces and making those, making space change use through some kind of digital enablement, I think is really exciting. And I think there's lots and lots you can do with that and not make it too geeky. Yeah, make it... You know, we, we kind of did a, a bit of R&D uh, a little while ago for a, for a client in Hong Kong where, where 
we kind of stuck um, screens behind uh, wood veneer and, and signage behind wood veneer. So everything still had that kind of very nice wooden feel to it. When it's off, when it's on, it lights up and does really cool things. And it's just like that kind of dual use of... I totally see yeah, that. And the yeah. idea of removal of tech, actually, because it's going to be a bit more omnipresent. It won't be quite so visible. Everything will be a meeting table that has digital capability well they, they will look very different they will look more like restaurants or lovely hotels or you know things that are much more kind of comfortable human spaces well i think as well like one of the reasons i was we've been speaking to lots of people about the future of work and how people are going to work and obviously the big shift is most people i mean we spoke to the b1m last week and actually all of their all of their guys are working at home now and actually they've got a better talent pool availability and they have, they've actually just employed people all over the world but then, you know, we've spoken to other people like, yeah, but we've got this office and we, we really want to have a use of the two. And the reason I like the Spaceform uh, software was like, it did give you a very real sense of a physical space in VR. And I was wondering if you guys were looking at this idea of merging a replicant office of this in a space. So when someone logs on remotely, they have to pick a seat and at least there's a there's an avatar of them somewhere in the office so you as a manager can kind of you can get a sense that everyone's at their seat but there might only be six physical people in the office but you just know that everyone's logged on and actually that person is assigned a seat so there's a there's a massive overlap between physical and reality and you because the challenge of a manager is you like you look down and there's no one in the office and you're like how do i know what anyone's doing is that something that you think spaceform has an application for yeah oh yeah i'd I'd love Love that. It's great. I don't know if you... I just remind me of the... Have you seen this? Uh, the, the film The Kingsman? Yeah. When they put on the glasses. Yeah. And then everyone's kind of like... I just love all that. It's just... It's great. So so the, the challenge is not the digital side of that. It's actually kind of the people are actually in the room still. Like if, if we were having a meeting of 10 people, but there's only three of us in the room, how do we represent the people who are not here? Obviously, we'd have to probably wear something augmented yeah. uh, to represent. So the tech is probably a few years away f- for that to kind of really spark off. But I think when that happens, it's going to be monumental and fast and completely life-changing, I think. You know, if, it get, if it's done well uh, and the right people are doing it. And, you know, again, it's kind of, I, I, yeah, I, I've no doubt the big techs, the Microsofts and the, and the Googles and the, and the, and the Metas will all, um, you know, kind of jump into that space. But I always think the really interesting stuff happens when people, the next branch come in, the kind of the entrepreneurs, the artists, the... Uh, creatives who kind of have other ideas around what that and then kind of extend it and make it more human and make it more fun and make it more engaging and that's when it gets really really interesting so are you finding as a business remote working is working fine we, we've been trying to work out if there's certain sectors that just naturally lend them if we're software engineers for example yeah then yeah I so with my can... software engineer hat on absolutely yeah. yes completely yeah, yeah we've been doing it for years I mean I've been working with teams in you know uh, India, uh, Ukraine, um, uh, all over the world, quite frankly, for years and years, like for 15 years or so. And in the software industry, that's, you know, it's totally normal. Everyone gets it. No one really cares. Most software engineers prefer to be at home anyway. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of uh, the with my kind of more creative squint hat on. There's definitely a superpower in people meeting physically in rooms together, especially at the start or at reviews of meetings, you know. And, you know, sometimes I think things like Spaceform can help mediate that. Uh, but, you know, I still also think there's an animal side to a meeting as well. It's like, you know, we are ultimately, you know, isn't it? So I, I'm going to completely get the, 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 the percentile wrong, but there is a, like something like 60 to 80% of communication happens non verbally. Yeah. Very hard to do that digitally. 
and fine once you've established the rules and you know you know we know each other now we've we've had a little moment in a room together we can jump on digital platforms for the next you know couple of months and we'll probably get that little bit of extra nuance in the in the in the language which you wouldn't get if you hadn't done that so that to me is the one thing that is yeah we've got a little bit of a digital divide there's there. like a proximity elitism it's like if i can come in the office we just think you're at an advantage to people working remotely and um, we, we're coming up to the uh, the 40 minute mark so we we're going to wrap this up in a minute but um what's what's next for spaceform so we are i mean we've just signed up our first bunch of clients we've just got uh, another round of investment so things are looking quite uh, rosy at the moment touch wood um so yeah so we've got um a couple more architects in the books we've got like a kind of quite a large backlog of architects who want to join our beta if anybody's listening it'll be coming along soon no you guys have got a you've got in with the good yeah, ones yeah, first. Yeah, I yeah, understand yeah, yeah 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 of course, of course. <laughs> um uh, and which is great so there's a lot of there's a lot of demand out there and it's kind of i think the demand's been coming from the kind of storytelling aspect of it the kind of presentational aspect of it i can the collaboration stuff like people like yeah but i mean it's kind of perhaps a bit more it's, a, it's another leap, whereas the presentational stuff, there's a very clear use case for it, as in it will help people tell their stories about their buildings quicker and faster and all the rest of it. So that that's taking that's definitely taking off. Um, we've got our first few commercial clients as well, which is wonderful. So we've got kind of a nice mix. We've just signed up, um, I hope I can say Thomas Heatherwick, so that's great, uh, as our kind of like, uh, you know, they, they, and they've we've just been doing a crazy project for them which has just been fantastic work for all of us and uh good to see that and then yeah really positive response from them and their clients their client absolutely loved it again their client based in uh, the far east uh travel has been an issue i think they're based in possibly based in china i'm not sure but uh travel's definitely been an issue on that one so that was an interesting uh, exercise and a good again a very very good use case for, for using more of an immersive platform um and then for us I guess for the architects, we want to kind of deliver more and more value. So it's not just as the presentational tool and something that becomes a communication platform, but we also think that there's there's an extra bit. So how do architects engage with the metaverse? And I can't, I don't want to go into all our kind of yeah, future business plans in too much detail because a lot of that stuff is still being resolved at the moment. But we see that as a real excitement. You, you mentioned earlier, like what's times ten or times a hundred of what of what we could be doing. We think that that's the way it could go in some way that basically we connect the industry with the wider metaverse and those the skills that the industry has, as I keep saying, is so perfectly placed for this emerging 3D internet that's going to happen. So we just think that that is going to be the future and we want to be the kind of one of the ways that that, yeah, help encourage the industry to, to, to embrace that. I feel like when you're able to tell us the solution to all the things you just promised, that's when we'll come, you can come back on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much yeah, for coming yeah. on, I really appreciate Absolute it. Absolute pleasure. Thank yeah. you very yeah. much. Good, all right, Thanks. no worries.